the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Planted with Sarah Pion. I'm Sarah Pion, your host, and today we have George Jage, who is the co-founder and CEO of MJ Unpacked and the founder of Jage Media. So today I'm excited. We're going to talk about the premiere of MJ Unpacked, which is the first THC consumer packaged goods trade event. Welcome, George. I'm so excited to have you here. Sarah, thank you so much, and I'm so excited to be here as well. So I always like to ask my guests, what got you interested in cannabis? Or, And actually, if we could backpedal a little bit more before that, if you're comfortable, what was your first cannabis experience? Um, I, I was just thinking that when you were saying that, and it was actually... Me and my best friend, Lyle, I think I was 14, and we ended up buying a bag of mostly stems and seeds from Tom. I'll leave his last name out of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, no, I just, I, you know, I, I had a, a pretty early relationship with cannabis, and I enjoyed it. Um, you know, I had a, a modest herbal distribution business in my later high school and early college years, just helping friends because I had some pretty good connections. And um, it was just something that, you know, I enjoyed as part of my life. And then, you know, kind of post-college and kind of getting into the workforce and life and getting busy and trying to, you know, run some businesses. I just really kind of didn't really smoke that much. Um I'd bump into an old friend once in a while and get high and I'd just get like, like sucked into like a stupid hole for like four hours. Cause I just, I had kind of fallen out of uh, um condition, so to speak. A um, couple trips to Amsterdam over to Europe. And uh, again, you know, just getting, uh, getting access to some professional grade products <laughs> kind of set me back a little bit, but um, you know, nonetheless, uh, you know, occasionally, you know, through most of my twenties and thirties and, you know, it was just um, something I've always enjoyed. I always felt it should be legal. I, I, I certainly tried to work to um, support normal while I was in college um, and, uh, you know, pretty strong advocate for, you know, more of a libertarian view of letting people do what they want with their bodies. And um, certainly, you know, plant medicine is, is pretty much been around for 5,000 years. Right, right. And cannabis was, has been a huge part of that. Yeah. So when I was looking at your bio, you've you've done a lot. I mean, MJ Unpacked, um, I'm very excited about this event. But leading up to this, you've had a really rich history with media and cannabis. You want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, so you know, in cannabis in 2014, I, I built a couple of trade shows and business media assets and I kind of got in the, the trade show industry really kind of, I wouldn't say by accident, but um, certainly wasn't, you know, part of the plan, um, just the, the opportunity presented itself. And I really fell in love with it because you, know, you get to create these events and um, really bring people together. And you see the, the effect of that is very exponential in helping people's businesses grow, um, helping them create success, connecting people that are trying to sell something with somebody who's trying to buy it. Um, and that seller buyer might be information, it might be products and goods, uh, services, or whatever the case may be. Um, and then, you know, I, I launched a trade show for the tea industry, um, which was uh, the company I ran and owned prior to coming into the cannabis space. And it was a fascinating industry. And it was funny because, um, you know, after I had exited that business and guy calls me up out of the blue and I didn't know him, but he, had, he and I had a mutual friend. He's like, George, so-and-so said that you're going to be available soon. Let's start a pot trade show. And I'm like, huh? And like, I was, you know, I just wasn't, I wasn't up to date on what was happening in Colorado and other markets that cannabis could actually become legal in the United States. This was very early stage. And I said, okay, well, what'd you have in mind? He says, well, you'll run it and you can be in charge and we'll be partners. And I said, okay, so does that mean you're putting up the money? He says, I don't have it. um and uh anyways he he was kind of a a pretty outgoing uh person and he had talked to a number of other people that were in the space um including at the time mmj business daily 
um, which was a small publication, um, and the owners of that had reached out to me and said they were looking for a publisher, and I said, well, great. Um, if I find anybody that's a publisher, I'd be happy to connect you to them, but I'm really you know, more of a trade show kind of media kind of conglomerate kind of guy, and, and really trade shows are where, as a business media company, you can really kind of you know, create a success for your business as a function of providing service to the community, not the other way around. And um, so I was, I, I decided, you know, what the heck, um, seems really interesting. I really love early market industries where there's a strong thirst for knowledge. There's a lot of kind of cloudy, uncertain spaces that you have to navigate and challenges that create opportunities to really help support an industry. And so I took a, I took a position as the president of MJ Biz Daily, um, or I rebranded as MJ Biz Daily and MJ BizCon. Um, the owners were moving it to Canada Business Media, and I went out to a couple places and I said, "Oh," and then people would go, "Well, who are you with?" And I'd be like, "Canada Business Media." And they're like, "What's that?" And I said, "We publish MMJ Business Daily." Oh yeah, I love that. So I didn't want to lose the, the great brand that they had, you know, following that they had already created. Um, but that was, you know, that was a, a, a fun experience. I mean, they had done a trade show with about 20 tabletops um, at a racetrack in Seattle the year before. And I was able to, you know, really kind of bring that professional trade show event experience to the industry and create an event that, you know, I grew to from, well, with the help of obviously a great team um, to, you know, well over a thousand booth show that we moved into the convention center prior to my exit from that business. And, um, you know, it was a time when everybody needed to find a POS system and they needed regulatory compliance software and they needed extraction equipment and machines in the corner that go bing. And so there was a really strong need for, you know, the, the supply side of the industry, certainly from 2014 through 2018. Uh, but I always knew when I was running that, that the industry was going to have a significant shift um, the biggest trade show, or at least the most important trade show in or trade event in any consumer packaged goods industry is really a brand or retail focused trade show. And, you know, every national show in our industry is a supply side show. And the only reason we don't have a national CPG show is we don't have a national market yet. Right. Yeah, that's, but that's, we, we, yeah, we definitely will. That's that's been the really interesting thing, like watching the trade shows evolve. It's like I've been in the industry now since 2012 and watching them go from like smaller venues where, you know, there are, you know, everybody, there's like the, the people who have been in the industry for the while and there were new people to now like these huge venues where there are so many people and you can tell like the look on people's faces when they're new to the industry and they're learning and they're like sponges and they're absorbing everything that they're seeing. And then you see, you know, those of us who we also look at it as an opportunity to catch up with people that we haven't seen in so long because every day in this industry we hit the ground running, right? Sure. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, you know, why trade, why trade shows are so, you know, important. I mean, you know, first there's, there's the opportunity to see friends and, and we do business with people, not businesses. So, you know, it's really being able to create those connections on a human level and being able to read people's body language and look them in the eye and, you know, um, get to know somebody um, that will create the trust that you need to have to, you know, create a business relationship that might be, you know, critical to your success. And so, um, you know, a lot of entrepreneurial spirit and passion and, and um, you know, in this industry. And, and I kind of I liken it or kind of um, reference it as kind of almost like a Maslow's need hierarchy for your professional self separate from your personal self where you need to, you need to go and, and be in the room with the people that are doing what you're doing to really kind of validate that you're on the right path and, you know, learning from peer-to-peer -peer learning is always the most effective, um, you know, form of learning because you're talking to people that are walking in your shoes or making the same mistakes or maybe they're making mistakes that you haven't made yet that you can avoid and or they've created some success in other ways that you can learn from. And I just think it's it's really such a critical part and, and it's, it's, it's really the kind of the engines that drive commerce for most industries. Right, right. And so with MJ Unpacked, what do you think is the greatest differentiator with what you're doing compared to what you've done before? 
everything. Um, <laughs> so, so, you know, we, you know, we started this company back at the end of 2019. I was support of Patrick Ray over at Canopy Boulder. Um, he's been in the trade show space for a long time before he got into cannabis too with New Hope Natural Products and uh, New uh, Nutrition Business Journal. Um, so he's got a lot of understanding of, of the B2B mar- you know, media space as well. Um, and it was just a conversation we've been having for a couple of years since I left MJ Biz and I was, you know, I was running Dope Magazine, which is a consumer media asset for a while. Um, the, um, the opportunity, you know, really was starting to evolve. And again, you know, in the future, the end game for cannabis events is going to be much more like that natural products expo where the brands and the distributors and the, the retailers are all there looking at what new products are out there and what new products they can bring to market and, you know, whining and dining their top clients and, you know, really kind of celebrating the industry around that. Um, so we decided to start the company. We got fully funded in February of 2020, which was, you know, great timing for, you know, a company that was for an event company when the events industry is going to shut down and effectively in a month for the next year and a half. Um, you know, it gave us a, a really kind of an interesting position because, you know, we didn't lose 90 to 100 percent of our revenues from the year before because we didn't have any. Um, the other thing was that most of those companies that had existing events were, you know, negotiating with their, their customers or explaining to them why they're keeping their money. Um, they had to walk back, you know, venues and vendor contracts and were kind of in free fall and kind of demoralized because they, they already had this anticipatory expectation of all the money they were going to make that year. And, and it, it just it washed away like overnight. Right. Yeah. That had to be stressful. So, uh, yeah. And, um, you know, we were in a great spot where, you know, um, we got to innovate and we went and we were the first company to go to market with a virtual trade show. And, you know, we used the, the MJ impact brand for that as a virtual event. We did it for the Colorado market exclusive, you know, really focused on the brands and the retailers. Um, you know, we had some success, um, kind of like being the smartest kid in the remedial class, you know, it might be, might be doing great comparatively, but nobody was really going to graduate. Um, you know, virtual events were very, very difficult. I think both from an experiential standpoint for the attendees, um, and, you know, very difficult to generate revenue and scale those up um, and, you know, start bringing in all sorts of new resources that you wouldn't normally have to produce something on a technical platform like that. I remember when we did our first event, I mean, the, the, the show, quote, opened, and I was sitting in my office by myself, and it was the, like, most eerie and depressing thing ever because, like, I thrive on that excitement, like the energy when you bring people together and you see them making connections and you know that they're, they're talking to the right person that's going to help them advance their career or, or, or create a business opportunity or create new jobs and, and create success. And you're just like kind of in this echo chamber uh, of silence. And it was just really eerie. Um, but, you know, the show went on and, and a lot of people were able to connect with other people. We had a very strong messaging platform inside the uh virtual event. We spent a lot of money really customizing the booths where people could have avatars of themselves standing in their booths and the actual products that you could click and open up product images and videos and catalogs and download stuff. And we had some really fantastic uh, educational sessions. Um, but again, they were a struggle. Um, and I'm glad that they're done because, you know, everybody at the end of 2020 was talking, oh, we're going to do hybrid events next. And I, I think for some industries, they work. I mean, you know, certainly you look at like Microsoft and Amazon events that went from 20,000 attendees live to 200,000 attendees on their virtual platforms because a lot more people had access to be able to attend them. Um, most, you know, people were working from home and they didn't necessarily have to get their boss's approval to go to something online or virtual event. Um, but, you know, for something that's more kind of data or, um, kind of knowledge-based type of thing. I think that the virtual events and hybrid events can work really successfully. But at the end of the day, like cannabis is just such a tactile industry. It's such a social industry, and it's about you know hanging out and, and going out to dinner and smoking a joint with uh, new friends and learning something new about people and seeing products and being able to really discover stuff. Yeah, I can totally see that. I, I know. Like after your first virtual event, I actually saw some people who had put up screenshots and were talking about how cool it was and what an interesting concept. And that's it's an awesome thing. 
But then there's also, as the pandemic started to continue, people started talking about, though a great tool, virtual events sometimes can be even more draining because you're not getting back the energy that you're giving when you're there. Right. You know? Yep. And we are social creatures. And I also think that, you know, signing up for virtual events, if you get busy doing something else, it's really easy to actually sign up and not attend. Whereas if you've got to go to a physical space, totally. it demands your presence, right? Yeah, and there was a lot of different models that were out there. Like there was one group that did something with really kind of a 3D avatar experience. And, you know, they were promoting that they were going to have 10,000 people at this event and they were going to have 500 exhibitors, right? And they didn't, um, which I, you know, I always get a little bit kind of, perplexed when I see, you know, people who are producing events oversell. And that's something that we never do. We always want to over deliver. And, um, but, you know, I was talking to a few people who went to that event and they said, you know, by the third day, it was a bunch of people stoned off their ass that had figured out how to hack the system, fly around the event environment and throw themselves off balconies. <laughs> um, so, you know, which, Hey, if you're stuck at home and in the middle of a pandemic and, you know, if you're going to have to go to a virtual event, I mean, that, that would be a lot of fun to do, but, um, but how undignified. Time, how <laughs> well, we are a crazy bunch. <laughs> indeed. indeed. <laughs> so with everything that, you know, you've learned from the events that you've done in the past and then this virtual world, that we've we've been kind of ensconced in for a while. Where do you see like the future of trade events? Where do you, what do you see happening, or what would you like to see? You know, and, and that's a great question, uh, Sarah. You know, we we spent a lot of time because of the pandemic. You know, being able to really noodle that, and you know, I've been to a lot of events as an attendee. I've produced a lot of events, and you know, every kind of market has its own nuances and everything else, but. You know, what really at the end of the day, the kind of the X factor of what creates success is the ability for, you know, two people to sit down and have a conversation and really understand each other and then explore opportunities to work together um, at a business level. And that we, we feel is the kind of formula for creating transactional value to everybody who's involved in an event. So walking that back a little further is like, you know, most trade shows have these kind of bowling lane after bowling lane of booths and people are scanning cards and handing out business cards and that's creating lead generation, but it's not creating connectivity. And so looking at that, you know, creating that connectivity, the other thing that really differentiates our event is that, you know, we're exclusively um, for cannabis CPG brand and retail executives. And we also know they need access to capital. So we're allowing in accredited investors actively investing in the cannabis space to really create an event that has a feel and the productivity of an executive conference where four out of five people in the room are somebody you want to talk to. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not like walking into a big, you know, Home Depot type of experience or Walmart type of experience, handing out business cards, and maybe one out of a hundred or one out of a thousand people in that room might be relevant to you. And you've got to hunt them down and find them. Um, you know, really, it's about quality over quantity. Um, and so by qualifying our audience, which none of the national shows do on anything other than ticket price, um, gives us the opportunity to really have a very focused audience and create a very highly productive event. But we also wanted to incorporate that kind of discovery of a trade show. And as we're playing to where the puck is going in our industry towards that national CPG brand retail type of experience, um, you know, asking a brand to come and spend five or six thousand dollars for a ten by ten booth that's got carpet and pipe and drape at any of the bigger national shows, and then they got to spend another five, six, seven thousand dollars to you know build out a booth, hire union labor, store it, um, graphics, electrical, you know, hauling it in, hauling it out, and all of those other expenses. I mean, that's just it's it's, it's there's no way to get a return on investment in that, right? Especially for a brand especially for a brand that might be operating in, you know, Washington. I mean, they can't go to an event in California or event in Las Vegas or in, in Chicago and expect to be able to create, you know, any type of sales traction. Um, and that's not what we're trying to do for the brands that are participating in our show. Um, we know that the, you know, the brands already are in contact with the retailers in their own market to sell products to either through their own sales team or through a distributor. 
but what we're offering is brands can take a brand showcase. They can set up their products. So their whole kind of brand experience hall, not a trade show hall, really has a retail feel. So you can kind of have that discovery and go and look at products that are available all across the country in different state markets um, and, and be able to discover this stuff. And then the brand reps aren't the people that are, are there with the brand. They're not stuck in their booth for two or three days. Um, they get to move around. They get to interact. They get to play. They get to engage. Um, and then each of the showcases has a QR code. Mm-hmm. Um, we're working with Lucid ID um, on those QR codes, and you'll be able to scan the QR code, and it'll open up, um, you know, the the brand profile. You can download product information. You can watch videos. That creates a lead generation event for the brand. You can message the brand reps that are on site and say, hey, I'd like to meet with you right now. I want to bring your product to Oklahoma or I want to invest money in your company. Um, or they can meet with, you know, or they can schedule time on their calendar. But going back to, you know, kind of the value proposition of brand is, is you know, taking time to listen to what do the brands need right now. Um, there is a tsunami of federal legalization or nationalization of our market coming. And if these brands don't, you know, have access to capital to be able to, you know, increase their production capabilities, expand into new state markets, um, and 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 really start growing in advance of that nationalization, they're they're at risk of getting washed out to sea when the really big money comes in. And and you already see, you know, some of these MSOs have raised billions of dollars for acquisitions and and product expansion and license acquisition. So, you know, and and they have access to capital. Um, at that level that most of the operators that have been, you know, operating the space for, for five or 10 years don't have access to. So I think, you know, creating that opportunity and, and the exit strategy for some of these brands and retailers is to sell to these big MSOs. So, you know, bringing all of these groups into the room, creating this experience for them. Now, we do have some traditional exhibit booths that some of the brands with larger portfolios are taking, some of the contract manufacturers are taking so they can set up a booth and say, Bring your product to Nevada. Bring your product to Oklahoma. We're the guys that can manufacture, girls that can manufacture for you. Um, we have a huge meeting area in the middle of the show floor. We're bringing in a – you'll love this, Sarah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm bringing in a gong, and I, I, I don't know why. I just woke up one day and said, I want to have a gong on the show floor, and I want people <laughs> to bang the gong every time they get a deal done, right? <laughs> like, I want to create that type of excitement. So I was looking at gongs. Um, there's a website called Gongs Unlimited for anybody in the gong market at the moment. Um, and they have this gong called the Flower of Life gong, and it uses sacred geometry using seven concentric circles, brilliant because of the marijuana leaf, um, that is a natural energy healing gong. So um, we're setting up this gong, and people can bang it, and uh, Bang Chocolate has asked us if they can sponsor the gong, so the mallet will be a Bang-sponsored mallet, but, um, you know, I want people to have fun at our event. I want people to feel relaxed. I want people to feel like that they can just be themselves because they're in the right room with the right people and have a great experience and a productive experience. It it sounds in some ways like some of my memories of some of the earlier smaller conferences where there weren't as many random people. There were people were there Mm -hmm. for a reason. Yep. I like that. Yeah, and and um, I think you know with when I was running the MJ Biz, um, the first show I produced, there was um, uh, two other shows in the market. MTI had launched their first, and Canacon had launched their first um, back in 2014 or 15. And you know, the next year there was 10, and the next year after that there were 30 trade show operators in the space. And you know, I it's it's like I said, a little frustrating when I see some of these people come into the, the space and you know, say that they're going to do a show and have 10,000 people. And, you know, I saw one guy do a show in, in Colorado where he said he was going to have 10,000 attendees and they actually had more, more exhibitors than attendees. That's like, like the, the, the epitome of like just a, a death zone and people playing Frisbee in the aisles. Um, and, and just making sure that you don't overpromise. I mean, you really got to think through what is, the need set for the different groups you want to engage. And if you want to try to engage everybody and be one of the trade shows that's just open to anybody willing to pay pay for a ticket and you just want to sell tickets because you don't want to create value, then, um, you know, there's plenty of operators out there doing that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And 
You know, one thing I'm just noticing when you're talking about this and just the pe- the mix of people that you're getting together is really, it's ideal. It's kind of like some matchmaking because you've got, you know, the retailers and, and the brands need investors. Investors need to meet these people. And then we are looking at, you know, the advent, ah, I guess we're past the advent of MSOs. We have, we have quite a few multi-state operators and it's really interesting to see brands like, you know, I mean, you know, we were we were carrying Kiva when Kiva was itty bitty, and now you hear about all the different markets they're going into, and it's it's really nice to see the growth. Um, what kind of what are you projecting as far as potential for some of these these brands that are looking to grow to actually make connections to be either part of MSOs or or to be MSOs themselves? You know through the matchmaking that you're doing at the conference well and and um you know and the matchmaking is really very organic it's not we're not trying to set up structured meetings but there's going to be a tremendous amount of connectivity to the app for people to schedule those meetings in advance um but let me um let me let me walk back and talk about kind of the 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 event design because that the the way that we're setting up the you know kind of trade show hall with this kind of retail experience and the seating areas and and kind of you know really cool stuff that people won't be able to see at other trade shows you know we're also creating a money stage um this is kind of a traditional kind of micro cap event where companies that are looking to raise capital can pitch from stage in front of an audience of accredited investors family offices venture capital our main stage is, is, is really high level, you know, retail pain and brand pain points. Like we don't need to kind of have our cannabis one-on-one, how to open up a retail store. Like we're not looking to attract somebody that's looking to open up a business. This is a, this is an event for like the senior people who have really been driving this market for better part of the last decade, you know, to find a home and, and have a place that can be, you know, efficient, productive and comfortable and hospitable to them. Um, you know, but when you walk into our event, we're creating this massive lounge and the way I kind of envision this and the way we're designing this is like a really nice business hotel. There's a bar, we're bringing in local musicians. Um, we'd love to get your fiance to come, uh, and play a little bit there as well, uh, yourself, uh, Sarah, um, putting you on the spot there. Um, <laughs> and, and, um, you know, we're going to have, you know, foosball tables and shuffleboards and, and, things that people can just kind of be relaxed and engage with other people, a lot of soft seating. So you can kind of grab a drink, you can grab a soda or whatever and sit down and kind of have that quiet corner with a nice, comfortable furniture that you can have that deeper business conversation with people. We also have a series of boardrooms um, and these little kind of breakout rooms that we're also creating uh, what we call VC central at MJ unpack. Um, you know, typically during, you know, the big show in Las Vegas, you know, you have, you know, the venture capital firms, one of them's over at the Wynn and one of them's over at the Cosmo and one of them's at the NLA and one's at the MGM and they're scattered over town, all over town. And, you know, as I like to joke, I, I want to trade some efficiency in the capital markets, but, you know, people spend half their week in a cab line in, in Las Vegas, you know, during the big show. And, um, you know, I really feel that that's inefficient. And I did create one of these investor suites with Poseidon back in 2015 when I was running MJ Biz. And Emily to this day has said that that was the most efficient and best show she ever had because she was right there. She had the privacy of her own kind of business suite on the floor to have her meetings, meet with her portfolio investors or portfolio companies, bring people in that she wanted to talk to about investing in their company and didn't have to be tucked away in some suite, you know, that nobody could find and, and people were late to meetings for. And they could walk out and they could see what the action was on the floor. And they had that, that they could feed off that vibrancy and the energy that, that happens at trade events. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have, you know, Entourage Effect Capital and Poseidon and Arcadian and Panther, Trailhead and Kenny Ventures and, and, and some big, you know, VCs that are, are setting up shop at our show. And we're also talking to a couple of the MSOs because they've raised billions of dollars of capital, like I said before. And, you know, they can set up a meeting where they have larger teams that can have, you know, catering brought in and have a team lunch, talk about their strategies while they're there walk out, go meet with other retailers or brands that they might potentially want to acquire, bring them back into their suite, have a private conversation. Um, it just, it's again, creating the hospitality that I would expect um, to receive it going into somebody else's home. We want people to feel that, that they'll get at our event. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I think it's important to have those spaces, especially because like, and I love the fact that you're doing the QR codes um, in the retail experience because I can't tell you how many times I come back from a conference with all these materials, all these cards, and it's like they stay in the bag. <laughs> they do, and 80 percent of 80 percent of the materials that people hand out at trade shows end up in the hotel room garbage. Um, it's it, like it's just inefficient, and um, you know, my daughter who is going to be a uh, lawyer. She's 11. She's going to go to law school and she is going to help defend our planet. She's pretty convinced of it. And, you know, but we have to, we have to start making some of those changes. I mean, trade shows generally are not very environmentally efficient. Um, you know, there's a lot of materials that end up in, in garbage dumps and stuff. We've worked with, I've worked with a guy that um, had a company that was, you know, re, you know, repurposing a lot of that stuff and taking, you know, old vinyl banners and creating sunscreens for playgrounds and, and stuff. So we really want to eliminate a lot of that that waste that happens at a trade show. And, and certainly, you know, having, you know, everything on an app and, and having, you know, the access to that after the show and, and being able to tag stuff. So when you get back, you don't have to be like, okay, where's that brochure from that one guy that I got? And I can't remember his name. And, you know, it's just, again, creating that, that efficiency and environmentally friendly uh, environment. Yeah. Yeah. We all have to do our part. I hope that we start seeing some more of that around our packaging in the industry as well. Hemp, baby, hemp. That's right. A hundred percent, 110 percent. You know, we're, we're, we're staying hyper-focused. A lot of times people ask us, like, what about CBD? And it's like, well, the CBD market has a completely different set of challenges and buyers and sellers. It, and, and like that, we're not trying to be everything to everybody. This is really around, you know, cannabis, THC, you know, products that, you know, by the farm bill have 0.03% THC or greater, um, you know, but um, I, I love the hemp industry. This isn't, a, we're not doing our show around hemp, but I mean, I've just, I've been waiting. And ever since I brought Ralph Nader to come speak at, at MJ Biz, you know, years ago, it's like, I can't wait to see the hemp industry really actualize itself. And, you know, seeing more of these companies that are using hemp for construction materials, using hemp in, in and, and bioplastics that are truly biodegradable, not like just greenwash, and they can only biodegrade in a industrial composting over 10 years. You know, it's it's true biodegradable plastics. Um, you know, uh, renewable. You know, it's it's, it's it renews the soil. Um, you know, the construction materials. I mean, there's like 30,000 industrial uses for hemp. Yeah, I had actually a few episodes back. I had a great conversation with Morris Beagle. Uh, he was talking about all the interesting things that he's doing with it, even like, you know, guitar amps and guitars. That's it's amazing the things that people are making out of hemp these days. That's awesome. Yeah. Clothes, yeah. fibers, bags, construction, houses. Yeah. Well, cars. Yeah, I just I love that. I love that, and I'm just it's it's amazing. Like I I was teaching a class on the history of cannabis at San Francisco City College. And as I started to delve deeper into it while I was preparing to teach, I was floored by the fact that a lot of the prohibition that we had around cannabis and, and hemp, industrial hemp, was, you know, due to the interference with other industries. And if we'd actually allowed cannabis and hemp to dominate the way it probably should have, we wouldn't have a lot of the ecological and health issues that we do today in our world. Yeah, I mean, and and it's true, and right, and um, you know, unfortunately, the way some of our the way our government works sometimes, uh, you know, large industries with very um, expensive lobbyists that have very large checkbooks to donate to politicians, you know, um, don't advance the best interests of society or uh, or the representatives, that, you know, the, the population they represent. I mean, you know, you're talking about, and you know, hemp's going to disrupt the plastics industry. It's going to disrupt the energy industry, um, you know, and on and on and on and on. I mean, it's it's there it will eventually rise to the top. I mean, it has to. Yeah. But I would think that if if we started growing a massive amount of hemp and had the industrial capacities to turn this into construction materials and biofuels and plastics and, and all of those products that we could get the cost down to, you know, low. I mean, I think also in addition to restoring a lot of the soils that have been, you know, tarnished over the years from, you know, massive pesticide use and, and 
and runoff from the roads that we could actually also probably um, reverse some of the effects of, of climate change. Yeah. Yeah. At I, a massive scale very quickly. That, that's, that would be amazing because it's just right hemp now. For, hemp for president. Hemp, hemp for, for president, president is right. Yeah. I mean, that's, we have, <laughs> we have nieces that are school age and we, we worry about what the world's going to be like. I mean, when they're adults, hell, we'll probably be dead by then. But it's, you know, our kids. What are they going to have if we don't start making these changes? I'm well, all... I, got two kid, I got two kids at home and I worry about it every day. Yeah, that's it. Oh, I wanted to go back to the event, though, because I also wanted to talk yeah. to you about the conference sessions, because those are always an important part. People get really excited about great content and learning something. And also, you know, it's a great opportunity to see who else is interested in the same subjects you are, because I've noticed a lot of my colleagues and even myself, I've made new friends just being in the room with a bunch of people that we're all, you know, intently listening and taking in what the presentation is. Yeah. So, um, Kim is my wife and my business partner, and she's also our chief marketing officer. She really developed the conference. She did develop the conference program. Oh, wait a second here. This is one of the best. I think, oh, one second, George. I think we're breaking up. I'm just going to make a note where we're breaking up so that Ed can edit it real quick. Okay. Do you want to, do you want to start? now? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. Um, you know, the oh, you're breaking up again. All right, let me put my aluminum foil hat on. <laughs> That's one of the one of the problems living on Bainbridge Island. I call it the island of bad cell phone reception. Um, better now? Yeah, you're great now. Okay, so um, you know. Listen, I think content is, is so important, and you know when when shows are trying to do you know be everything to everybody, they have this big broad conference program. They they sometimes will fill seats by by who's sponsoring them and paying them the most money, which doesn't necessarily equate to the best content. Um, and you know the it's so broad, like you can't really get to a higher level of, of discussion. And by 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 concentrating our audience and, and qualifying our audience. So like we get to do something nobody's ever done is have this higher level conversations that are really meaningful, that people tend to be on an executive level, be a little bit more collaborative. We're on a kind of a staff level and a sales, you know, executive level, they're very competitive. Right. And um, so, you know, we're excited about our conference program. Um, you know, we do have a strategic partnership with BDSA um, you know, unbelievable data and insights that they provide. So they're going to be leading off with our keynote session. Um, Kelly Nielsen, who came from Nielsen Media, um, no relationship to the company's founder, um, will be leading things off. We're, we're going to be talking about, you know, um, you know, how brands can partner, you know, successfully partner with retailers to really sell more products. And, you know, that, that, that session's kind of layered because, you know, right now in our industry, you know, the relationship with the consumer almost always exists with the retailer. And there's certainly cases like that in other industries, like Whole Foods owns a relationship with the consumer uh, in a lot of cases, because you're going to go there based on the perception that you're getting a better quality product, um, which is true, you know, to a large extent. But, you know, when you look at most CPG industries, the relationship with the consumer lays with the brand. Right. And we're just not there yet. So, you know, brands use those retail partnerships as a way to really help promote their product and also help support the retailers so that they can be a part of their product mix. Um, you know, one of the sessions I'm really excited about is, um, uh, and I, I don't know if I mentioned, we're putting the band back together. We have the Blues Brothers playing live at the House of Blues as a benefit concert for Last Prisoner Project. Um, but we do have Dan Aykroyd, who's, you know, a very successful uh, brand and product marketer himself. Um, with his Crystal Skull Vodka, Jim Belushi and uh, Hugh Hefner's daughter, Christy Hefner, doing a fireside chat. Um, I'm going to be talking with Steve D'Angelo and a gentleman, Javon Bunch, who's got like 30 plus years of, you know, CPG experience working for companies like Coach and, um, you know, huge, huge branded companies and really kind of talking about that transformation when, you know, kind of cannabis goes corporate and, and what to expect when we start seeing a lot of these consolidations. We're 
doing sessions about how to manage um, through an acquisition, you know, it's really important to a lot of people in the space that they do sell their businesses, you know, how do you integrate your, your team into the new business and the culture changes and, and challenges that come along with that to really make it successful. Uh, Andy Williams is going to be moderating that session um, who recently sold medicine man to um, I believe Columbia care, um, you know, and, and he's been a pioneer in the space and we've got uh, somebody from Columbia care and air wellness, uh, Jennifer Drake, who's the chief operating officer, um, Andrew Kessner, Kessner, the director of M&A at, at air wellness or Columbia care. Um, you know, we're doing a session on, you know, how to replicate and localize your retail brand in the new markets. Um, you know, it's really important for people to understand that, you know, what works in, and, and you said you're in the Oakland um, uh, Piedmont area, like what works there might not work in San Francisco. Right. Um, so, you know, even just a small geographical shift like that can be very different on how your consumers are going to want to have that retail experience. So, you know, really understanding how to understand your local markets when you're going into them and how to really create that engagement so that you can create success out of the gate. Um, let's see. We've got some great people talking about, you know, really kind of creating that positive impact. I think a lot of operators um, in your in your local communities, a lot of operators have really taken that kind of community outreach to a next level in our industry. Um, we've got some um, Pamela Taylor from the MAP Group monitoring a panel. We've got Rabbi James Khan as the Director of National Outreach for Holistic Industries. Um, we've got Gary Little, Managing Partner of the COLA Group. Um, we've got some really great speakers coming into this program. Marty Higgins is going to be at one of our sessions who runs Urbana in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. I know our Marty, yeah. Everybody knows Marty and everybody loves Marty. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> he's, 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 he's a stalwart in the industry. He's, he's, he's been a great friend over the years. I'm really glad. You know, and that's the cool part about this, like you know, getting to meet these people that are so passionate and really driving this industry forward and, and, understanding what makes them tick and what they're worried about when they go to bed at night. Um, those are, that's really part of what I think just energizes me about creating these types of conferences. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting to see um, just like the different people who have some of the subtle changes that they've made that have been so impactful. And when you mentioned Marty, I thought about um, when he first was opening his dispensaries and he had said to me, you know, Sarah, people are going to have a basket and they're going to be able to pick off the shelf. And I just looked at him and I yeah. thought, whoa, <laughs> that's a right? new model. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, yeah. I, I love seeing that innovation and I love being proved wrong because I was like, I, I think you're going to have a lot of I, in, in high school and college. I work for JCPenney. And what they call, you know, loss, they called it shrinkage. We'd have to do shrinkage reports. So all I could think of was, that sounds like shrinkage. <laughs> but it wasn't. <laughs> you know? Well, what got me in the trade show space is I was helping my dad out um, who had an off-price uh, off liquidation business. So we would liquidate excess manufacturers inventory and resell it. And we actually hired a guy that used to be a JCPenney buyer. For this, and he had only one account and it was to sell back to JCPenney. She knew all the buyers and everything else. But I remember those shrinkage reports. Um, <laughs> I think they passed them back to the vendors and said, we've had some shrinkage here. We're going to charge you back on that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, that, that just, that tickles me that you know that one too. I still have nightmares yeah. about that job. <laughs> I, I, I imagine so I want to ask you. Listen, let's let's put you on the on the on the couch for a minute. So, what what was it that that moved you to get into the cannabis industry? I I always liked cannabis. Um, I actually I was thirteen the first time I tried it, and it's funny because one of my friends that's going to be coming to my wedding is actually the friend that I got high with for the first time. Uh, we we live on a golf course, so we went out into the woods in the winter. We smoked a little. We didn't get high. We went back to the senior that we got it from, and we asked him for our money back. And he said, sure thing. And he he took our bag, and we never heard anything else. <laughs> you must have forgot your receipt. Uh-huh. Oh, totally. Early lesson. Early, early lesson. But, like, through the years, I always appreciated it. Um, I didn't really realize, like, how much it could do until – 
I was 37 and I ended up getting sick all the time. They told me that I had IBS, but medications weren't mm -hmm. helping. And so a friend of mine had a medical card and he was like, you know, I, th I think you should try, you know, I, I know you smoke weed, Sarah. I think you should try smoking it and seeing if it'll help. And so he ended up getting me a gram of, I think it was, oh, Sensi Star. Sensi Star and Blue Dream. He got me a gram of each of those. And um, all of a sudden, I wasn't getting sick after I was eating. But as it started to kind of, it was cyclical, and I ended up finding out I had stage 3 colon cancer. So, oh, my. Yeah, it was a trip. And my mom is a... a hematology oncology nurse and cancer researcher who did the clinical trials on the chemo that I ended up taking years later so I knew that THC would help with like nausea and getting you eating but we didn't know yeah. as much about it you know nobody was talking about CBD back then and so yeah. you know I, I made some silly mistakes like getting too high before I went to see my oncologist <laughs> Which is never a good thing. <laughs> You're staring at him, being like, "Can't have this conversation today, man." But you know, it it got me eating. I actually, you know, it helped me with nausea because. Uh, when you're going through colon cancer, you really have to be careful of pharmaceuticals because the ones that are constipating can actually kill you. It's like, you know, you never think you could die of constipation, but when you have colon cancer, you can. So I was able to forego using my opiates and using my anti-nausea drugs. It was really cool. Awesome. Yeah, and now I use it. I have 10 years out, I have neuropathy still left over from it, and I use CBD ratios to, to help that. I don't have to use any other medications. So, and, and you know, so awesome. it, it, it's, it's a lot of, it's, it is awesome. I was going to say it's a lot of fun, but no, it's not. It's awesome, though. <laughs> it is awesome. And, th and listen, thanks. I mean, that's kind of personal. And uh, I mean, I'm sure that you share that because of your passion for the plant. But it's important for people to hear that, too, because, um, you know, there are a lot of people that are out there sick. There are, you know, there are a lot of very, questionably safe uh, pharmaceutical products out there. And, you know, this really gets down to plant medicine. You know, it was really interesting when I was in the tea industry. Um, uh, you know, tea is a very healthy product. And, like, you know, there's certain teas, like black tea actually contains uh, anti-UV stuff, so you can use black tea as a sunscreen. Wow. Um, there's uh, oolong teas that are actually really effective in breaking down fats and fatty acids so like they'll see that they'll actually use um, a squirt bottle with the oolong tea in it to clean the tables at restaurants um, and um, there's puer teas that um, I know people that have taken and massively reduced their cholesterol um, that had high cholesterol just by drinking puer tea on a regular basis so um, there's just some really cool stuff out there and then when I got into the marijuana industry or as, as the guy once said let's start a pot show um, the, um, you know, I, I ended up reading this book that I helped a friend publish and I, I literally like opened up this page and she was talking about how emperor, like in the industry, we know that emperor Shen Young, who's the father of modern herbal medicine that lived 5,000 years ago in China, discovered tea or is accredited for discovering tea, but she had like this passage <coughs> also accredited for discovering cannabis, which I didn't know. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm going to be working for the same guy. Um, so, um, you know, it's like, it's like that whole plant medicine, like can really help people. And it's like, you know, and, and we know what, it, you know, how marijuana has been very helpful for people that are suffering from PTSD and other, you know, um, you know, kind of psychiatric traumas and stuff. And, and, you know, what groups like MAPS is doing now with MDMA assisted therapy and, and people using psilocybin and LSD for treatments of, you know, issues i mean it's it's so exciting to be on like the, the front end of this renaissance right yeah it really really is and it's um you know it's it's just really rewarding and, and, and you know the medical stuff aside which is i by the way i love geeking out on i like i totally dig the anophilistic side of cannabis too just like bud structure aroma like you know, yeah. just, you know, delving into like why things are the way they are. Like, why do I get a certain high with a certain terpene profile? And that's stuff that we're really just, we're just, we're just on the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. For sure. For yeah. sure. I, I, I'll tell you, I didn't, I, George, I never thought I would, if you told me, you know, 
11 years ago, I'd be doing this. I tell you, you were nuts because I, I had a very comfortable yeah, office downtown. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? Cause, cause years earlier, I, I worked in operations management for years and I was a tech buyer before that. And, um, I was in between jobs and there was a dispensary looking for an office manager. And this was, I think, like in 2003 or something like that. And at that point, I was like, fascinating, but I would be entirely unemployable after I took that job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and with the reason it was easy for me to take this position was like, cancer changes the no, way you look that. at life. You know? So I got, yep. Yeah. I got a funny story for you. So huh. I, when I was in college and I was getting my degree in microbiology, um, I ended up, I saw an ad for a um, job at the microbiology, inter, summer intern job at the microbiology lab at Paps Blue Ribbon down in Milwaukee. So I went down there and I interviewed for the job. And there wasn't a lot of microbiology students back then. Um, so after I met with them, like, oh, great, well, you're hired. And we just need you to go downstairs and um, do um a test with our doctor, make sure your back's okay, you know, from a safety, and then you got to take a drug test. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'd gotten high on the way down there, right? <gasps> oh, no. So so I, I go down and I see the doctor. I said, listen, I got to get back uh, the, the check the back, and I had to go offsite for the drug test um, to a lab. And I said, I have to get back to school to take an exam. Can I come back down in a couple of weeks, right? So I, I, I go back to school and I'm like, you know, getting golden seal root and drinking orange juice and doing all the things that you got to do go back down, take the drug test. And then about a week later, I call and say, you know, do we, are we good? You know, what's my start date? And they're like, well, there was a problem with your drug test. I said, what? How could that be? I've never used drugs before in my life. And because I, of course, right after I took the drug test, I started smoking pot again. Um, And so I get back up there. So I had a buddy of mine um, that um, had gone to rehab and I said, Hey, can you meet me next? And I'd already been to the testing lab. So I said, can you meet me at the McDonald's next door to this at like nine in the morning? And I had him pee in a little scope bottle and I kept it in my pocket, went in there, dumped it in there. And the whole problem that they had with the first test was that like I peed in my cup. They, they had me leave in the bathroom and you're supposed to seal it and sign it. And the nurse signed it so that it's a verified sample. And I, they had a temp working that day. I didn't know what the procedure was. And um, anyways, I got the job. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, I really, I can't wait for the day that people don't have to worry about that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So you were talking before, and I, I kind of jumped back and kind of went through the event about, you know, what, what we're going to see, you know, with brands and, and, and things starting to really kind of, as things kind of start developing and, and maturating in our industry. And I, you know, I, I've just really seen in the last couple of years, like, you know, some of the smarter venture capital firms and investors in this industry have realized that, you know, for the you know first five or six years, you see companies raising, you know, 15, 20, 30 million dollars for a technology platform and everything else. And kind of that picks and axes, play it safe, you know, don't get into plan touching businesses. They're really starting to invest into the brands and the retailers now because we're getting close mm-hmm. and there's going to be a number of events like uh, hopefully safe banking soon. Um, you know, the, um, uh, getting rid of the 280 tax code, um, oh, certainly expungement nice. is incredibly important and, yeah. and de- decriminalization, but that, you know, from a brand and, and, and retailer standpoint, those are going to have huge valuation jumps. The thing I'm most excited about is, is really what I'm seeing the pro- new products being developed in the market that will really support what I think will be the biggest growth phase of our industry. And that's the development of on-premise consumption. Um, you look at the alcohol industry, it's a $200 billion industry, and 48% of that, that $200 billion is, is on-premise consumption, going to a bar, going to a restaurant, and having a glass of wine. Um, you know, we can have that in cannabis, and I don't think it's going to look like a hookah lounge. It might be hookah lounges, and people can go and smoke flour. But, you know, with the, you know, kind of mirroring that kind of social lubrication of the bar or the lounge or the restaurant, and being able to go in and get a Lagunitas, you know, cannabis infused beer, or, you know, companies like Viv and Oak that are making cannabis infused wines and having a bolt cannabis uh, infused iced tea with your lunch instead of a martini or a beer, um, you know, really creates the opportunity for, for us to create those lounges that, you know, people can go in and have multiple instances of consumption um, that layer on top of each other that have quicker uptimes and faster downtimes so they can also get home safely. 
um, it's really going to be game changing for our industry. And I know that, like, you know, there's been social consumption movement in, in Nevada and in Colorado and California, but we're still not, we don't have all the pieces there yet. And if you think about what that looks like, I mean, you know, you can go out and hang out with your friends, and maybe have a few too many and not feel hungover in the morning. Like, how great would that be, right? That'd be so um, nice. You know, you, yeah, you'd probably have less bar fights. Um, you know, it's, uh, um, you know, the physiological and, and societal damage, you know, from alcohol compared to cannabis, as we all know, in the industry is massive. And I just, I, it's, it's, we're really close and this is going to, you know, it might be the next five years before we really see that fully maturate, but it's going to be huge. I agree. I agree. I think that, you know, something that's going to be pushing us more toward that too is just one of the things that came from the pandemic was that more people started experimenting with cannabis during this time. I mean, even, you know, my mother-in-law who's in her eighties, cannabis was never really for her, but she, you know, she started, I got her some of the doses pens this year. I got her a high CBD and then a two to one THC to CBD. And she told me, you know, one day she was stuck at home. Um, you know, she has, she has issues with her health and her immune system. So even more so she had to be careful during these past months. And she said, you know, there was just a day where I was feeling so low and lonely and had cabin fever. And she's like, Sarah, I decided to take a puff of that pen that had a little more THC and she's like I took a puff it didn't get me high it put me in a better state of mind so I could actually cope with everything that was going on that is awesome it is my uh, my mother-in-law will probably hopefully she doesn't listen to this podcast um and freak out that I'm telling everybody this but <laughs> um you know and and she had to go in for knee surgery and um, she lives out in New Jersey and she comes and visits and, and we took her to our local dispensary, Paper and Leaf, and um, brought her, you know, helped her shop and, and got her some you know, chocolates and stuff. And, you know, when she got done with knee surgery, there's a very long period of pain and healing that goes on and, and physical therapy. And, you know, she basically didn't take any of the opioids that they were trying to force down her and, and you know, was able to use the cannabis. And, you know, she recovered faster and she felt better about it. And then she's got her bridge club and she's like telling her friends about that. And now it's like, you know, they, they kind of have their little, you know, kind of, you know, club where they kind of, you know, make sure that everybody's got a little bit of product for those times. And it's, it's cool to see that going on. And, um, you know, I was talking to another friend, Scott Rutledge, who uh, was very instrumental in legalizing cannabis for the state of Nevada. And this was a couple of years ago and he was out in Tennessee and he's like, there's this like whole like network of grandparents that go and like they they basically have their kid mewing drugs back from the legal state for them because <laughs> you know they, they want the salves and they want the, you know high cbd stuff because it makes them feel better like getting old sucks and the body hurts sometimes and you know it can just be like it can make you feel young again it can it can really just re-energize people and you know you hear stories like that you hear stories like the one you just shared about you know your experiences with cannabis and ibs and yeah, you know, where this can this has such an amazing impact on people's lives that that you know it's hard not to be inspired uh, to uh, you know really help move the industry forward every day. It's true, and when we're looking at consumption events too, I mean, people have these fears of you know people getting too high and and things happening, but really all we need to do is is empower people through education, and you know there's. And we'll be good. I mean, and I, and the one thing that I've noticed, too, like back in the day, um, I used to throw parties and we would, you know, there would be consumption at the parties. And I remember when I would be looking to get a venue, it was always so hard because people were like, whoa, what's it going to be like? And then after the party, <laughs> whoever owned the venue would come up to me and be like, you can come back any time. Everyone behaved. The bathrooms aren't trashed. This was this was downright pleasant. <laughs> you know, I, I was just thinking of something else too on that. You know, I have a, a friend of mine that uh, he was, he was in the tea industry and he was working for Starbucks. And then I had him speak at MJ biz until Ray hired him. And then he was running dockside here. But when he was running dockside, they used to, you know, sample the products and what they would do is, and I'm not a big dabber myself, um, but they would do uh, dab hits of pure CBD isolate. And they said it would completely, reset them yeah um and th think about that right so if if you know if somebody consumes too much at a party or at a bar or you know on-premise social lounge or whatever 
like they could like have dab rigs where you could like you know rip some CBD and be right as rain and get home safe. Um, you know you can't drink enough water if you're over intoxicated from alcohol. It, it's just a function of time, right? You still got to wait you know an hour per ounce or whatever of alcohol um, for it to pass through your system and you know, you significantly reduce, you know, kind of the, the harm from drunk driving or intoxicated driving from that. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, that's that's the reason that whenever I go to events, I always carry a high CBD pen with me. Not necessarily because I'm going to need it because I only, I, I definitely partake, but if I know myself well enough to know that if I take more than I need, I'm not social. So, but yeah. I, but I take it yeah. because, you know, you see people and you see that look on their face, especially if they're new to it or they're just a little bit tired that day. It could be anything and you just hand them the pen and it's good. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. And everybody's there and they're exuberant and people are passing stuff around. And it's very social. So you might, you know, what a strain that's a really high THC strain that's okay for somebody might not be okay for you. And all of a sudden you walk into that and, and, um, you know, make a, bad choice and you become over overly intoxicated or overly high um you know it's um you know it's it's definitely a good way to play um play this i'm sorry my dog lucky just came in he wanted to say hi oh hey lucky <laughs> well i'm i'm really i'm really looking forward to seeing you at the event and um oh my god me too, Sarah. If for anybody who wants to follow you on social media or sign up for the event and learn more about it, where would they go? Um, so um, I, I always have to stop myself because it makes me, I realize it makes me sound old if I say go to www. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, our website, our, our main website is uh, mjunpack.com. Um, you can find out information about there. Again, retail retail. Executive title manager hire can attend for 100% for free, um, and then we also have a publication mjbrandinsights.com. Um, our Twitter and social media handles are at mjunpacked and at mjbrandinsights. Sorry, my dog's telling me that he wants to go outside and play. <laughs> oh, they rule our world. I know. I've, I have a very they demanding do. cat. <laughs> well, and 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 so we got a we got a, a lab. Um, our, we, our dog, we had a dog for 16 years that passed away uh, last summer. And so my, my wife really wanted to get in a dog. And I had the kids, like, kind of tell them, like, you know, and I'm like, every time mom brings us getting a dog, let's just say we don't want a dog right now. <laughs> and so on her birthday, we took her to go to the breeder, and we gave her a box that was filled with dog toys. And we took her to the breeder to pick up a, a, a lab puppy. And so she decided on the way home that she was going to name the dog Lucky because she felt really lucky that day. So, but we couldn't bring the dog home until he was eight weeks old. So for the next four weeks, every time we were on a call with like the family on a Zoom call, she would go, oh, I can't wait to get lucky. And I'm thinking to myself, that just doesn't sound right to be talking to the family about. <laughs> I love yeah. that. I love that. Labs right are now. awesome. They're, they're such yeah, sweet he, pups. Yeah, he, he's really a smart dog he's just he's you know he's nine months old so he's like full-on like toddler young adolescent you know ball of energy has he grown into his feet yet uh oh yeah he is he's uh 77 pounds already oh that's a that's a big boy yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, for listeners out there who want to check out social media for planted we are on twitter instagram and facebook we are planted with Sarah on Twitter and um, IG and Facebook. We are planted with Sarah Pion. If you want to check out our website, it is plantedwithsarah.com. You can also go to our parent, um, <laughs> our parent company, which is our Radio Misfits Network. That is our network. There's a lot of other great shows on there as well. And also, you can listen to Planted anywhere that you listen to your favorite podcast. So. We're talking about Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, Amazon, Google, Apple, you name it, we're there. And remember that Planted is now two times a month. So if you get a chance, yeah, I know. I'm, I, it's, it's so exciting. I get to talk to more people every month. And it always, it always, I love, love talking to colleagues in the space and sharing ideas and finding out what everyone's doing. And I'm just really excited for you, George, for your event. I think it's going to be fabulous and it's totally different. It's, it's definitely something that we've needed for quite some time. 
Well, thank you, Sarah. And, you know, we didn't want to come out and launch another event that, that in an oversaturated market. We really wanted to, you know, focus on how do we create value? How do we help people be successful? And, you know, really kind of hone in on this kind of sub-segment that tends to be underserved at, you know, typical national shows. And, you know, listen, I mean, you know, one of my objectives when I ran MJ Biz was to make it a must-attend event. You know, but I've known for a while, like a lot of the, the senior, you know, brands and retailers are going to Las Vegas and setting up meetings and going to parties, but they don't really find any value going to the show anymore. And we want to create a home for them. Yeah. Um, so we're very excited to be able to create this event and we'll be in New York in May of 2022 and back in Las Vegas again in October of 22. Um, we're excited about creating this event. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your passion, your innovation. And we'll see you in Vegas. And for those of you out there who are working in brands or dispensaries, check it out. MJ Unpacked. And until next time, stay safe, stay curious. And it's a wild world out there, so be good to each other. Take care, everyone. 